You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Why does work matter? Um, For me it matters because I like to be productive and I like to pay my bills. And and that's that's pretty much what it boils down to. I mean, I'm a server, so I obviously do it for the money. I mean, you have to work to appreciate anything. If you you just uh, have something given to you, you're not going to appreciate it. But if you spend those hours working towards something, then you're going to appreciate it a lot more. It pays the bills. I guess so we have a purpose, so that we have something to do, so that we can put good into the world, you know, we can produce good things for other people. Well, you got to work to make the world go around. I mean, if nobody worked, we wouldn't have no streets to go down, we wouldn't have no stores, we wouldn't have no shops, we wouldn't have no food to eat, we we wouldn't have nothing. It helps immensely for a person's psychology to be able to know that they have a place, that they have a function, that, that there's a reason they go here and do this that's beyond something fleeting. It's kind of your drive, like you want to work, you want to take care of things, something that keeps you busy, keeps you healthy, because if you're just sitting around all day, it's not going to, your body's going to deteriorate. In all honesty, work only matters in certain points. The money doesn't matter. It's the work, it's the fact that you're working to do something. You're working to improve your life. You get a job to improve what the situation you're in. You have to earn what you get. Everything you get, you, you earn. You can't just, some people are given things, but when you're given something and when you earn something, that is that point. That is that appreciation point, that you appreciate things more than whenever it's just, here you go, you can just have two dollars. Well, I worked for that, so now I get, I've earned that. Hey, good evening. How's everyone? Good, well, I'm Mark, I'm the director of outreach, um, and some of you might be wondering, why is he having a dude bring a stool up to the, to the stage? It seemed like kind of an Elvis thing there, right? You know how Elvis would have people bring him stuff? Okay, well, I need to explain. Uh, I had a little bit of outpatient surgery earlier this week, and I was going to try to keep that on the DL, uh, but my wife posted it on Facebook. So some of you have been praying for me. Thank you for that. Uh, I overdid it a little bit the last couple of days, so now I'm going to be preaching to you for the first time that any of you can remember from a stool, right? Some of you are praising God because it's like watching Wimbledon, watching me preach, right? You're doing this. Just back and forth. So I'm going to be stationary tonight. But we're going to get into the Word of God. Amen? Yeah. All right. Allow me to pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for everybody by your divine providence and appointment that you have brought in here tonight. I pray that anytime I speak something straight from your Word, um, that you would um, convict hearts and that you would comfort hearts and um, change minds and that anything that I say that is not from you, that you would uh, interpret that by your Holy Spirit. Um, Please just be with us tonight and be glorified um, through the preaching of your word. Amen. All right, well, we are in a series called God, I Have a Question. And what we're doing is looking at some common questions uh, that are out there in the culture that people in the church are also wrestling with and talking about. And then we're going to go to the scriptures to see if God has the answer to that. Because we believe as Christians that the answers to the most important questions of life are right in here, right? And so we're going to go to the Word of God, and the question tonight is, why does work matter? We heard it from the 
from the bumper video there, right? The, the question, and, and there wasn't any quoting of Scripture, but actually some of those answers were biblical. And we're going to look at some of the ways that, that work really matters to our life and to our relationships and to our culture. But what we're going to do before that, that and what we're going to do after that is we're going to answer the why question. Because I feel like it would be really tempting to go to some very practical passages of Scripture and knock you guys around if you're not working hard enough or knock you guys around if you're working too hard. You know what I mean? But that still doesn't answer the why question, does it? The big capital W-H-Y, does work matter? And so what we're going to do is look in Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. That's where we're going to start the message tonight, and that's where we're going to finish the message tonight. And we're going to find the answer to the question for all believers from God as to why work matters. Now, if you're an unbeliever uh, with us here tonight, and I love the fact that we have a meal at church at the center because you get to sit down and talk to a lot of you, and there's a significant number of us each Sunday night who are just like, yeah, you know, I don't know about all this. This seems a little bit crazy. I'm, I've walked, I don't believe in God, or I've walked away from God, or some of the testimonies I hear. We are glad you're here, and, and we believe that whenever you're in the house of God and you hear the word of God and you see people worshiping God, that that that's going to have an effect on your life. Um, for those of you that are professed, committed Christians, um, this message has tremendous power to reshape and to reorient how you look at work, how you look at your job, how you look at vocation. And so let's jump right into Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. And unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries, that is another word for prison guards or security guards or whatever, will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. What the scripture just told us is that God is working in our work to make work truly matter. That's the answer to the big why question. If God isn't in the midst of your work, if God isn't a part of the work that you're doing, if God isn't empowering it, if God isn't spending time with you literally in relationship in the midst of it, then it's useless. In an eternal sense, and in the deepest part of your soul, your deepest need being met through whatever area of your life it is, if God isn't a part of it, it's useless. The scripture just said that, point blank. Good work, those men and women were probably getting paid for the construction work and the security guard work. That's fine. It's good work. But unless God is in the midst of it, the scripture said that it is useless. And if we apply common sense, we believe that Jesus is Lord, right? Have you ever heard that said, Jesus is Lord? Common saying early in the Christian movement, because in the Roman Empire, it was kind of the mantra was Caesar is Lord. And so in a very subversive, in a very uh, rebellious type of a way, the Christians came along and said, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. And that was a big slap in the face to the most powerful man on earth. And what the Christians were saying is, Jesus is Lord of our eternal life. He's Lord of our spiritual selves, but he's also Lord of our earthly lives. He's, he's Lord of our home. He's Lord of our schedules. He's Lord of our money. He's Lord of our work. 
He's Lord of how we parent. He's Lord of how we do everything. He is the King of Kings, and there's no area of our life that he does not enter into. Amen? Amen? And so as Christians, what we have to do is kind of break free from a mindset that I hear a lot of people have that where they don't necessarily say that there is kind of a church thing going on here. Um, and, and then I've got this kind of the, the me stuff going on out here that I have to take care of this stuff. But when you hear people talk, a lot of times you'll hear them create this separation. Well, I go to church and, and it's really awesome and I get filled up with God and I, and I worship and I go to classes and, and I serve and I go to these events and this is church and that's kind of where God is for me. But then, but then I leave church, right? But then I leave church and, and God's not really in that. God's not really in those difficult relationships. God's not really in the fact that I've got to get up at 5.30 in the morning and go to work and do a drudge job that I hate. God's not in that. I'm getting through that until I can come back to church, right? That's a mindset that a lot of us can take on. It's probably one that you've had and you may have tonight. And what the scripture just said and other scriptures we're going to look at here tonight is that that is an unbiblical way for you to look at your life. The saying I, I threw out there that got me an amen from Bruce is that, that Jesus is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, and reigning and ruling over every area of our life. Every area of our life includes all areas of our life, right? And so what we see for Christians is that there is no separation whatsoever. Let's look in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and see how Paul kind of unpacks this in a little different way, but similarly to Psalm 127. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, and he says, work willingly at whatever you do. So whatever you do, whatever job you have, work willingly in it, as though you are working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. How many of you see your vocational supervisor or employer or boss as Jesus? Raise your hand. You try to? Okay, that's good. Very biblical. Rich, you do? Okay, very biblical, but most of us don't. That's a hard mindset to take on, and it's a hard one to, to stay in. But what the scripture just said there is, I don't care who your boss or supervisor is, and I don't care whether they have the buck stops here sign on their desk, the buck does not stop there. That person is reporting to Jesus ultimately, right? Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So as Christians, when we enter into a workplace, regardless of how meaningless and insignificant our work might seem, we're working for Christ. The scripture just said you're ultimately your boss is Jesus. We have quarterly reviews here on staff at the church. And so uh, try to take on the idea that um, you're going to have some reviews with Jesus about how you're an employee or about how you are a supervisor. And if you're the boss, about how you're a, a boss. Do you see what the scripture is saying? That's a big thing to take in. Where you work and how you work is an expression to those you work around and those you work under as to how faithful that you are to the person that you claim to have as your Lord. Do you work with Christian values? Do you portray the fruit of the Spirit? Do you work with love and joy and peace and patience and, 
and kindness and faithfulness and patience and self-control and all of these fruit of the Spirit, is that represented in how you do your work from when you clock in to when you clock out? There is no difference between the ability that you have to be in the presence of God in the workplace and the worship space. That's, that's really difficult to take in, I know. But when I was uh, a teenager, my dad owned these chain, uh, chain of lumberyards, and so my first summer job that I had the opportunity to get into was uh, sweeping the floors at the lumberyard. The showroom was big and the warehouse was big. And so, so there was a lot of sweeping to be done. And oftentimes he wouldn't have anything else to do. So I would get done sweeping and then I would get to start again. One of those jobs where you're like, why am I even doing this? Like, I can't even tell where I was sweeping last, but I, I was sweeping. And so over and over, and I wasn't a Christ follower then, but when I was preparing for this message, I was thinking to myself, what is the most seemingly ridiculously meaningless job I've ever done? And that's the one that came to mind. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to get in front of hundreds of people on Sunday morning and night, and I'm going to try to say that even that job had a spiritual component to it. Even that job had the ability to bring me closer or further away from Christ. I wondered whether or not I would be able to pull that kind of thing off now. I get to work in ministry, right? That's super easy because I get to do stuff for Jesus all day. Be surprised, it's easy to kind of fall away from the presence of God even in the work of vocational ministry. But I thought to myself, who is a best example I could lift up for us in the area of connecting us to how sacred our opportunities can be for being in God's presence in our workplace? And the guy I came up with is a monk from the 1600s named Brother Lawrence. Now, Brother Lawrence was a insanely humble man, so humble that he had people write the book about him after he died. He wasn't even willing to write a book about himself, but he wrote some letters, and some of the things that he said were, had an amazing wisdom. And so the practice of the presence of God is a Christian classic, and I read it several years ago. I recommend it to you. It's a two-and-a-half-hour read. It's a very simple read. But in the practice of the presence of God, Brother Lawrence talks about how his role on the monastery for years and years was kitchen duty. So he's cleaning dishes, and he's having to work out what it looks like to clean dishes in the presence of God, with intimacy in relationship with God in that moment. And here's the quote, the, the most powerful quote from the book, in my opinion. The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of the kitchen, with several persons at the same time calling for different things. So here, the guy wasn't even cleaning dishes. He had people bugging him while he was cleaning dishes. So he's got like distractions left and right. And he says, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great of tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. He's talking about communion, the sacrament of communion. Man, that dude figured it out, right? If you can figure out how to, how to know God, relationally be experiencing God while you're cleaning dishes and people are barking at you, you have figured out how to break down this whole divide between the sacred and the, the kind of earthly mundane. As a Christ follower, there is no divide. God wants to enter into every single area of your life, including the work you do in the workspace. 
Now, fast forward a few hundred years, there's another example that is a little bit more inspirational. It's not so spiritual, um, but I want to share it. In 1961, uh, John F. Kennedy was president, and NASA was starting the space program. And uh, the first visit that JFK uh, took to NASA, he walked up to one of the janitors, and, and he said, so what do you do here? And the janitor replied to the president of the United States, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Wow. He got it, right, Michelle? That guy got it. He understood. I don't care what anybody from the outside looking in thinks about the work I do. If it didn't get done, then the people who are doing the stuff that most people think is important wouldn't matter anyway. Every cog in the system is important and significant. And if I don't do it well and to the glory of God, if you're a Christian, Psalm 27 says it's meaningless anyway. So that's that story and the Brother Lawrence story I hope will inspire, I hope it, it challenges you, actually, to invite a different kind of experience with God into the work that you do on a day-to-day. Now, the, the next thing we're going to see in how God makes our work matter is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. So Paul is writing now to a different church in Thessalonica, and he says, Even while you, we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Paul was hardcore, wasn't he? (laughs) Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command, we don't know anyone like that, do we? We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. So God wants to make our work sacred. He also wants to make our work stabilizing. Now, see, one of the, we're getting practical here because one of the things about work that is so crucial to um, our, our relationships and our uh, home life and the other areas of life where we have the most contact with other human beings is that work gives us the ability to fulfill a purpose with our time, to be productive with our time. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, Anytime I had the most time on my hands is usually when the events of my life went the worst, right? How many of you have had your life completely go in the tubes when you were holding up to all of your job responsibilities, paying all of your bills, right? That's not when it happens. It's when you're living a life similar to the one that Paul was writing to. Look, you guys aren't working, so you got all this idle time, and so you have nothing else better to do but get in each other's way and sin against each other and tick everybody off, and then you go out and do stupid stuff, and that's why all this has fallen apart. Therefore, I command you to stop being idle and meddling around and get to work. Get to work because work has the ability to bring a, a stable environment to your life. Right? has the ability to give you Dignity and worth and value and purpose, for sure. Those are all things that you hear a lot about in Jobs for Life. But also it gives the ability to, like, to create a, a, just a space of reliability and dependency and stability. So Jobs for Life, you've heard a lot about it here tonight, so I'm not going to talk a lot about exactly what it is. But Jobs for Life is a great course that kind of helps people enter into that kind of life that I've been describing right now. And I put out on Facebook and asked uh, the JFL graduates who are part of our church, what would you tell me is like one of the big changes in your life as a result of JFL? And uh, Faith, 
Thank you for responding. Yeah, Faith. So Faith uh, Hilt, here's a picture, although most of you know Faith. There she is. Uh, Faith responded, and this is what she said. It made me look at my life as more than a job, a place to be each day. It made me look long-term. I was shown to look and see that I do have a ton more assets than I do liabilities. Man, if you need that kind of shift in your life, in your vocational life, take JFL if you haven't yet. Become a champion in JFL if you can do that. It has a tremendous ability to transform the stability and the dependability of your life. The next thing we're going to see is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. We're following Paul around. Paul's writing to all these churches, and he's writing to a lot of these churches about work and vocation. So this is kind of a big deal 2,000 years ago and still is today. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Okay, Paul got very simple and practical sometime, didn't he? Okay, stop doing that. Instead, this is applicable to all of us, though. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others who are in need. So here's the principle from that that we can take, all of us, whether we were a thief, and some of us were, and we stopped stealing, or whether we have had a life where we didn't use our job and vocation in a godly way, but now we are. And that is, God, work, God makes work matter because he calls us as Christians to be sacrificial. Really, the difference in a Christian life versus an unchristian life is that Christians are called to live sacrificially, right? It's supposed to cost us something to follow Jesus, isn't it? It costs us relationships. It costs us pride, right? It's also meant to cost us financially, and not just cost us financially just to, for God to punish us or to make life harder for us, but so that we would be a blessing to other people. He just said, start, stop stealing, start working so that the money that you make will bless other people. How many of you look at your job and the provision that God gives you and the money that's coming in to pay your bills, to provide for yourself, maybe give a little bit to the church, and then that's where it stops. So, so there's the end of the train on God's use and call on your financial situation as a result of having a job. Well, this just said... I want it to be a blessing for other people. I not only want you to make money, provide for yourself, although I want that, and tithe to the church, which at the time of Jesus was giving to the temple, tithing to the temple. No, I want you to do this other thing that the Old Testament called almsgiving. I want you to be ready to give. I want you to be able, like the Good Samaritan, to see someone in need and have the provision to, to meet that need. The Good Samaritan put the, the person that was in the ditch up in a hotel. He had given to the temple treasury, and he was on a trip. He pulled a guy out of the ditch, and he had the financial provision to put that guy up in an inn and get him help. So in a much less impressive example, I have a personal story to share. Uh, a few years ago, I have never heard the audible voice of God, by the way, but a few years ago, I heard a, a very strong word from the Lord, a very strong sense uh, when a lot of people, we were planting church at the center, and a lot of people were like, hey, do you know anybody that has a truck? Or does the church have a box truck? Or, or, or you know, buy a U-Haul for us or something? I need to move. I need to move some stuff. Or I need, you know, it was a very common question. And I just was, I never really had an answer to it. And so I really felt God say clearly, you need to get an old beat up truck and you need to make it available to anybody who asks. It's like, okay, I'm not very much of a truck guy. Most of you may not know this. I know I'm like, 
rugged kind of country looking dude, right? But I'm not. I'm like, I'm really a city guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You knew that already. So me getting an old beat up truck was kind of weird, but I did it. And here's a picture of it. There's the old 2000 Dodge pick up truck. Uh, but here's what it sounds like. Well, it sounds, but here's what it also sounds like when you drive it down the road. And so it drinks gas. Okay. So um, we have been loaning the truck out quite a bit and it's great and it's a blessing to others, but it's also breaking the bank in the McNelly home as far as gas. And so we saved up over the last year and we got me an even manlier vehicle to drive around, right? You know, so that I can just like, er, testosterone. Uh, let's see what I'm driving now. The HHR, baby. Look at that. Is that not a manly vehicle? And so that's why the windows are tinted, so people can't actually see a grown man driving the HHR around. It's, much, it's actually much smaller than it looks. And so this thing gets like 28 miles to the gallon. That's great. And so here's what I think. I'm like, okay, so God's uh, said this three years ago, and um, God forgets about stuff, right? So he's probably forgot about the fact that I'm supposed to have the truck. And so we can sell the truck, and that'll cover the cost of the HHR, and then we can put that money back into savings. Okay. Yeah. No. No, I, I, I heard a nonverbal call from God and talked to Caitlin about this. I'm like, no, we're actually supposed to keep the truck. And in the last couple of weeks, there was a day where it was loaned out twice, actually, uh, to people in the church uh, to bless them. And so we're keeping the truck. If you guys, seriously, if you have a need to move stuff and, and you want to borrow a truck, call Mark. All right, that's why I have it. Now, what does that look like for you? Okay, for the Good Samaritan, it looked like picking a guy up from the ditch and taking him to an inn. For some people, it looks like stepping in and, and helping someone out that's going to school. For some, it's buying an old pickup truck for people to use. But what does that look like for you? Are you content as a Christian to get a job, make some money, pay your bills, give a little to the church, and call that good? Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say that that's, that's really not that sacrificial. I'm going to venture to say it probably doesn't cost you a meal, even a month, to pay your bills and to give a little bit to the church. What does it look like for you, in the spirit of Ephesians 4.28, to get sacrificial? That's why work matters, guys. Work matters is because God is doing more than what we think. He's doing more than putting us in an environment where we can... Uh, represent what a Christ follower is supposed to look like, although it includes that. It, it, it's more than making enough provision to cover ourselves and bless others, although it includes that. This is a big deal. God created work to build such a structure of, of social and relational health and provision among us all that we when we lose sight of it, we lose sight of what God is really truly trying to do and what in our minds can seem like insignificant and irrelevant and unimportant areas of our life. And they're not. They're not. There is no unimportant, irrelevant area of your life. And I don't care whether you dig ditches and I don't care whether you sort mail and I don't care whether you pick up trash and I don't care whether you wash dishes or I don't care whether you sit in the corner office and people write you big checks because you're super smart. Your work matters because God has 
has given you gifts and abilities to do the work that he's called you to do in his power to be a blessing to the people around you. So I promised you we were going to start in Psalm 127. I promised you we were going to end in Psalm 127. So let's go back there and read it again. I think there's something that was really going to help us close the message in a way that leads us to what God really wants us to take away. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. And I'm a, I'm a uh, confessed workaholic. Uh, that's the reason I'm in a stool after outpatient surgery. I'd probably have more energy if I knew how to rest. Anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, he's talking about work, and he's talking about, in the first verse, he's talking about overwork in the first half of this verse, and then he ends it up with rest? What's the psalmist talking about there? For he gives rest to his loved ones. Well, here's what I think. I think tonight, whether you are, you've got a really poor work ethic, and you have got to kind of follow some of the Ephesians and Thessalonian teaching, and you've got to start adulting. Is that what we're calling it now, right? Adulting? Right? you got to start adulting. Uh, you know, that's, that's God's call for you. No guilt trip, but that, that is God's call in your life. Um, or if, you're, if you overwork and you're, all, you're beating the people, look at your life, Christians and non-Christians, and they're impressed. This, this person works hard. This person gets after it. This person's successful. Well, yeah, but do you have rest? Do you have the ability to rest? You underworkers and overworkers, do you have the ability at the end of your day to lay your head on the pillow and a result of your vocational life and your relationship with God, be at rest. Not physical either. I don't think that's what he's talking about. But at rest in your soul. Like, you know what? I, I did work the way God called me to do work today. Thank you, God, for giving me this strength. Thank you for giving me the, the mindset to tackle this vocation, whatever it is again, with your power and for your glory. Thank you, God. Now, how do we do that? We do that by being completely saturated in the reminder that the work that we do is in stark, pale contrast to the work that God did on our behalf. Have you ever thought about the significance of the fact that God, in heaven, created everything that we can see and that we can't see, and watched us screw everything up, and as a result, decided to not just wave a wand and fix everything. He decided to come down here as a human being and put flesh on and sit in a palace and change laws and write books and hold... Wait, no, he didn't do any of that. What did he do? He put skin on and he worked as an apprentice, as a carpenter's son for 30 years before he even entered the ministry. What does that say about the value of work on earth that God himself, when he chose to be human, was a carpenter's son for way more years of his life than he was a traveling preacher and teacher and healer? What does that say? Does that say that we can bring sacred into any area of work? I think it does. Now, Jesus, he goes out and he starts to do the ministry. And, and when he's doing the ministry, things get crazy and chaotic. They're going to throw him off of a hill at one point. He's being chased out of town. It's nuts. But does Jesus, as you read the account of Jesus's life and ministry in the gospels, in those three years, does it ever seem like he's out of control? 
and that things are not stable and that Jesus isn't dependable. No, does it? Doesn't, does it? He always seems like he's just, he's even keeled Jesus, right? He's not shaken. He's got, he's just, he's got the sacred in everything that he does. He's non-anxious, present, stable, and dependable Jesus. And then ultimately, the work that he ends up doing on the cross and through the resurrection gives us eternal life. Man, we can take on work knowing that we will never have to hang on a bloody cross, a gruesome death, bearing the weight of the sin of the world for a bunch of people who rebel against us, not even for our friends, but for our enemies. That is work that we will never, ever have to do. So how do you as Christians have a right understanding and and a right approach to your work? Understand the work that was done for you by Jesus Christ through the cross and resurrection. It'll change everything. It'll change the way that you look. It is the foundation for how we view work as Christians. Amen? Well, there's a guy. I'm sorry, Rich, I got to do this. There's a guy who exemplifies this in the NFL, and he is an Oakland Raider, and he wasn't traded to the Chiefs, but this guy impressed me. Now, I heard that he and his wife were outgoing, like very uh, expressive Christians in the NFL, and uh, that they talk about their Christian faith and tithing to their church. Well, he just signed a record-breaking $125 million, and so the pastors here have called to see if they would want to shift their membership over here. Because 10% of $125 million is a nice little tithe. No, I'm kidding. We haven't done that, all right? Don't tweet that. Don't email. That was a total joke. All right, but so in the press conference, here's what Derek Carr said. Let's show his, I know it's Raider logos. I'm so sorry, Rich. Oh, they didn't show the picture. But here's what Derek Carr says in the press conference. The exciting thing for me, money-wise, honestly, is this money is going to help a lot of people. I'm very thankful to have it that it's in our hands because it's going to help people not only in this country, but in a lot of countries around the world, that's what's exciting to me. This guy gets it, doesn't it? He gets that this talent that was given to him, the ability to sign a record-breaking contract, isn't about him, and it's not about his fame, and it's not about the money, except to the extent that it can be used to be a blessing to others. Right? How many of you need to take on a new mindset for how you see your work and vocation tonight? How many of you need to rightly respond to the work that Jesus Christ did for you on the cross? How many of you need to take the first step of faith in understanding what the work that was done for you was? I want to ask you to come forward just like we did during opening worship, during closing worship, and just abandon yourself. That's one of the greatest things about Church at the Center Worship is the people that are willing to be shameless and abandon their pride and just express themselves in a response to the gospel. Amen? If we believe this, Doesn't how we respond show whether or not how much we believe this? I want to encourage each and every one of you to take these steps in how you see your work and how you see the work of God for you. Will you let me pray? Father, you are um, always at work. You were at work when you created. Uh, You're at work when you continued to create opportunities around us and the gifts within us. And and I I pray that you would help us to step into a right understanding of the work that you've done for us and in us and in the work you've called us to. You are altogether good, and we are so thankful for the gift of salvation. 
through the work of your son. Send your Holy Spirit to be here in response to your word. Amen.